Hey everybody, this is, uh, this is Kevin Couch from the podcast Get This. It's a show about things people love, and I'm coming to you from downtown St. Paul, Minnesota. It is Friday, August 7th in the foul year of our Lord 2020, and I'm joined by Brianna De Silva. Brianna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, and and thanks for thanks for joining the show. Where where are you? I am in Colorado, so I'm like just north of Denver. Okay, I don't know why I thought you were in California. Probably because that that group that we're working with has a bunch of California people. Yeah, a lot of people there are from California, but nope, not me. I'm, okay. I'm by the mountains. <laughs> okay, right on. I just watched a documentary about the Killdozer incident, which is something I'm somewhat obsessed obsessed with. Do you know about this, the Killdozer? I don't. No. It's a documentary you could watch. It's on Netflix now. It's called Tread. And this guy, Marvin Hemeyer, sometime in the aughts, I think it was like 2005, uh, had a longstanding feud with the Granby City Council there in Colorado, Granby, Colorado. And he was a welder, very, very competent welder. So he proceeded to purchase a bulldozer and convert it into a tank. He, oh my he, God. he welded him, himself shut and then proceeded to demolish the town. <laughs> Wait, what? Yes, it's a real story. Uh, it's called Killdozer. Every year, I think it's in June, uh, a certain corner of the internet, a lot of uh, libertarian types, a lot of anarchist types celebrate Killdozer Day because this was a man who was pushed too far <laughs> and, and nobody else got hurt. He Only, only mm-hmm. Marv got hurt. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's fun. So I guess I was, I spent an hour and a half watching that documentary last night and there we are. Mm. We're back in Colorado. Although I think this is probably going to be a more pleasant, uh, hopefully chat. Yeah. Right. You're not, um, well, and so are you, uh, well, I guess this is a show about things people love. So what's the subject you want to talk about today? Yeah. Um, language and linguistics. Um, it's something that I find really fascinating, both just because, I'm a writer and language is interesting because it's something I'm using all the time. Um, But I'm also more specifically a speculative fiction writer. So I dabble in a lot of fantasy and science fiction. And I've been working on learning how to build my own, you know, constructed languages since I was a teenager. Oh, wow. I'm getting the hang of it now. (laughs) My first attempts were pretty bad. But um, so it's just something that I, I I spend a lot of time on. It's just really fun and I'm really fascinating. So, yeah. Wow. And so of course the first thing that pops into my head is Tolkien, right? Everyone certainly would think- the first inspiration. <laughs> Everyone's first. Elvish. Yeah. 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 And maybe also Klingon comes to mind. Klingon is probably yeah. the most. All right. And maybe maybe Esperanto too. Yeah, Esperanto is interesting. I I know at least one person that can speak it. I meant to learn it, and I just kind of didn't have the motivation, huh. but. <laughs> kind of interesting too. That that's fascinating. Well, that's that's a lot to unpack. I don't think we're going to going to have any trouble talking for an hour about all of that. I'm a, oh, no. a writer myself and I I just think words are fascinating and I was ranting yesterday to my fiance about the state of the world and how uh, it's it's us against dark wizards who use words to manipulate our brains and to get mm. us to do things we shouldn't do, neurolinguistic programming and all the rest of that. I'm I really into that kind of postmodern sort of hippie, intense way of looking at language. Language is really what crafts the reality that we inhabit. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because part of what I find really fascinating about language is how different it can be and how, mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many things that we assume, and we do this with culture, too, where this is something that I'm always trying to be aware of as a world builder, 
is that we will get used to things that are norms in our own culture or in our own language. And we just assume that they're universal when they're not. And it's always really mind blowing. And you realize like, wow, like for example, there's a language and I forget where this is. I want to say, I want to say it might be like an Australian indigenous language, but I could be completely wrong. But there's this language that's documented where you can put the words of a sentence in literally any order and it still makes sense. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wow. Because they're so, I think every single, I think it's something like every single word has some sort of like a indication what part of uh, it is. So you just uh -huh. add, you know, to the, to the beginning or the end of it. Um, and so things like that, you would just assume that, well, I'm sure every language has some specific word order. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's really telling, I guess, how unaware you are of the world at large and like history at large, if you're building a world and all your made up cultures are basically just like your own culture, but with different colors, you know, <laughs> different uh -huh. things right, on right. the surface change. And yeah. same with language, if you're trying to build a, a language and it's basically just structured like your own, but, but with different sounds, it's mm. pretty clear that, yeah, you haven't really looked at other languages. Right. Well, in what languages do you speak? Oh, I'm not really fluent in any other language, though. I'm close to that with Spanish and conversational. Um, and then I've just been like dabbling in Norwegian and Japanese, which I'm oh. very beginning. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really, I have a lot that I want to learn. It's, I'm not fluent though. It's, it's often like a studious thing that when I do, uh -huh. um, that's something I want to get better at because I really want to be fluent. I've always wanted to, um, I need to be immersed for Spanish yeah. to get to that next yeah. level. So, I really regret not taking Spanish. It's a real oversight. It's something I, I like to remedy. Uh, I have German ambition. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's kind of fun. I spent a, a little time in Switzerland and there was one summer there where, where I was there, I think for, for six weeks. And then I started dreaming in German and that's how, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, things are really starting to work. Uh, pretty cool. It's, it's a fun thing to learn a second, a second language. I think it should almost be a requirement, uh, yeah. certainly for university. It's kind of embarrassing how in the United States, we're all pretty just monolingual. I had, I was in Norway and this guy there, he asked me what languages I spoke. And he immediately said, please don't just say English. And I was like, oh God, well, I, I can speak Spanish, I guess. It was just, it's just so funny. Uh, yeah. Cause like in Europe, you have to, you have to be able to speak. In most places in the world, you have to be able to speak more than one language or just we don't have to. We can get away with just speaking English. Cause That's it's the, most the thing. Language, it, it's so. been such a, a successful yeah. language that we get away with it, right? I've got yeah. a buddy who I was talking with him this morning. Uh, in he's in Berlin. He's just learning German. He doesn't. He doesn't need it. He can go do business over there uh, mm. purely on on English. Just mm. wild. Uh, yeah. Well, so tell me about this Norway connection. That's a little far afield. Do you have family? What's the story there? It's so random. Um, so basically. <laughs> it started when I was like 11 or 12. I just became some really into history too. I okay. became really fascinated with old Norse uh, culture history. Um, at the time, I just understood that as Vikings. But then I realized, no, it's not just about Vikings. It's like one tiny sliver of that history. Um, and uh, and then I just kind of have always been interested in um, Scandinavia. And I learned as an adult that I do have some Scandinavian in me or whatever. So I decided I would go and visit Norway. I, a couple years ago, I was, uh, <laughs> I guess I was having a quarter life crisis and so I went and traveled a bunch <laughs> and um, that was one of my stops. So I was in Oslo for about like five weeks and then I just, oh, wow. I was like kind of freelancing, just kind of working. Five weeks in Oslo. Wow. I feel like I pretty much saw the whole city and then I mm -hmm. went and like, I went out of the city a couple of times too. 
Well, my, my stepfather's family is Norwegian and we're not my family, uh, but he's got a lot of interest in it. And uh, what I know about Norway comes from, um, well, con- contemporary Norway comes from the, the Nausgaard novels, the My Struggle novels. Are you familiar with these? No, I'm not. Uh, Carl Ove Nausgaard is a writer. You should, I mean, if you're interested in Norway, you should definitely know. He's the most famous writer in Norway. Uh, oh, yeah, he, yeah, he wrote six novels about his own life, which sounds just totally navel-gazing and impossible, oh, but it's goodness. actually incredible. Yeah. It's riveting. It's about his, his alcoholic father and him becoming an alcoholic himself and uh, overcoming that and family and Norway and everything. It's just really great. It's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, Norway seems like it'd be a cool thing to visit. I'd love to see, I've never been there, nor have I been to Sweden. Uh, and I'd love to do that. Did you get, did you get to Sweden when you, when you were there? I'm going to pause one second and move this microphone. I don't know if you can hear that sound. Yeah, you're fine. I can't, I can't hear anything. Okay. Well, that's good. But anyway, this will be a little yeah, that's all right. Cool. If you can't hear it, then I'll just leave it. <laughs> no, you're, you're doing, yeah, I think we're fine. <laughs> okay. Um, I did not make it to Sweden. I was just in Norway, but mm-hmm. I do want to go there at some point. Um, I have my grandma, who's the one that discovered, you know, that there was some Scandinavian in us. Um, she and I have been talking about doing Oh, it. yeah. Well, when our passports aren't toxic again, I think people will, will want to travel. Yes. I mean, we're radioactive Americans more than normal right now. More than normal. Oh, my God. What did you do in Oslo? What was there to do? Hmm. Um, let's see. I mean, I, I did I largely just spend a lot of my time, like, kind of being a tourist and just seeing the stuff in the city and, you know, working from different coffee shops and stuff like that. Um, trying to miss it been two years. Let's see. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There's, like, a lot of museums there. Sure. Um, it's, and, I bet it's very walkable, too. You can just Oh, walk it's extremely walkable. I think what's yeah. most fascinating to me about that city is just, I mean, it's so different from any American city I've ever been to because most people there don't use cars. They right. just, so like the streets are super empty. You will just see like a, you know, a really expensive, like, you know, electrical car every so often. It's kind of eerie. Um, and then everyone's just on the roads. They're on the sidewalk. I mean, they're either walking or they're biking um, or they're taking the uh, public transportation. Completely different culture because of that. Yeah. Very clean, very, like a very clean city. Just super accessible, super easy to get around. Um, and yeah, everyone there is really healthy and really like, fit and they go hiking in the weekends. And um, yeah, and I felt not fit being around them. I was like <laughs> panting. While I'm trying oh, to really? Yeah. Huh. I guess that doesn't surprise me. They have that reputation for being kind of out, outdoorsy and a little, I think they're, they're a little rustic compared to the Swedes, mm. for example. I think the Swedes are known for being a little more urbane, although maybe that's mm. just... I don't, what do I know? I've never, I've never been there, but. Yeah. Most of Norway's population is in Oslo. If I recall correctly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how many people live there. Do you, do you happen to know what the population of Oslo is? But it's not a very it. big city. I mean, I, I was yeah. almost able to walk across it like in a day. Like oh yeah. Day. Oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's under 700,000. So mm. yeah. Mm. Interesting. You learn something. Yeah. You learn something every day. Fun. Well, so now did you, did you formally study uh, linguistics or philology or are you, no. and that's fine. I, yeah, no. Okay. So this no, is, I've, I've, yeah. Yeah. I've like taken, like, I'll find, like basically if I were to ever go to school again, which I don't think I would, that's probably something I would study that or some form of that or history or like classical literature. I don't know. It'd be hard to choose, but yeah. Um, and so those three things are things that I just kind of pursue in my own time. Like I found some, it's pretty amazing. The free 
courses that you can find online if you're really interested in something. Like oh, there's yeah. so many options. There are universities that will, you know, just kind of hand out one or two free courses and things yeah. like that. And yeah, it's if people, knew, if people only knew, uh, and then as far as auditing goes, I believe most state universities, which include some of the greatest universities in the, in the world, have a policy where if you're a resident, you can audit, you audit a class, you can go and sit in. You're, you're really only limited by your imagination and, and the professor, you know, you want to, you want to talk to the professor in advance. You don't just want to show up. Uh, but I think most of them have those policies. You can go in and, and, and sit in on classes pretty wild. Now, I did not know that. Now that's yeah. very in- interesting. information. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I could be, I could be mistaken uh, mm-hmm. over generalizing, but I know when we were at Texas, I think Texas has that auditing policy where, cause it's a public institution. Your, the tax dollars go to pay for uh, a yeah. portion of that. So huh. that's something to think about. This is, this is an era of no excuses. You, you don't have an excuse. Uh, you can make a podcast uh, with Zoom here. It's not, <laughs> again, you're limited by your imagination, but that's, mm-hmm. that's great. Can people uh, find you online? Do you have a website or a place where they can find your writing or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so I have a website. It's briannadasilva.blog. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's DaSilva with an A, not an E. Um, and I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I don't have my first novel isn't out yet. It will be out next summer. Um, but I have a picture. Oh, oh great. Uh, do you, do you want to talk about that? What is it? What is it about? The novel? Um, oh. yeah, the, so it's a, it's a, I would say a young adult crossover epic fantasy novel. Um, and in short, it's about a group of teenagers who get caught up in a war and begin to wonder if they're fighting for the wrong side. Ooh. Um, Ooh. and so it's a, uh, yeah. Oh, I just realized you're okay. You just switched. Sorry. I got confused for a second. Yeah, just, um, I found your, I found your website. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's about empire and resisting tyranny, I guess in, in a, in a nutshell. Um, my blog is kind of all over the place. I would say, honestly, um, uh, I had the sort of a, uh, I guess, unique experience in that, um, I'm a lesbian, but I grew up in a very conservative background. So I do write about some of that. Mm. on my blog um mm. but yeah did you t- did you say the title of the novel oh no it is city of reckoning i guess i should have mentioned okay that all right and are you how are you getting it published it is going to be independently published yes because cool. i another thing i love is marketing i just really want to do it myself ah <laughs> uh, that's sweet well now in this again in this age we're limited only by our imaginations we have the tools right at, right at our our fingertips i was thinking about this earlier today how how fortunate we all are even in this uh, damnable year <laughs> that we're living through. We still have the ability to connect like this. And again, earlier today, I was on with someone in Berlin, then I was on with somebody in Massachusetts, and now mm-hmm. I'm on with you. And it's seamless. This is this is something in the '90s when we all had dial-up connections. I remember the first time you know I made a video call like this, and it was murky, jerky, and the connection was terrible, and you cut mm-hmm. out. And yeah, it's 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 something to be grateful for, anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, I even remember when like Skype was first a thing, or at least my memory, but first being a thing, it was so bad. You spent most like ninety percent of the call being like, "Can you hear me? Can you see me?" Like, <laughs> like, I might get one sentence in. Well, I used to use Skype for the podcast, but for whatever reason, Zoom their their soundgate is so much better. It mm-hmm. just makes my post production way easier, and I was able to take the podcast to this video format with it, which. Uh, 
yeah, yeah. it's pretty fun to do. I, I really enjoy these conversations. And it's something that, you know, you and I are working on this project together, this Avaz Media Project, which I talked yeah. about with our last guest. Uh, and it's interesting to just set an hour aside to really get to know someone based on one of their passions. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about world building and, and building a language and everything. So have, are you doing that for your novel? Does your novel have uh, its own language and grammar? Uh, so there are... <laughs> Okay, well, I'll get into it. So, <laughs> I'm really excited. I, you got this. You got a twinkle. You got a little twinkle in your eye. Try to. Um, it, I don't. It's not often that I get to like you know just nerd out about these things. Um, so basically, the thing with world building is it's always you're always focused on aspects of your world that their story is taking place in. So obviously, the the, the aspects of, of the world where this particular book takes place in are the the areas where I've done the most work. Um, and I'll continue to do more work as more stories explore it. Um, but I do have, I would say, so there's various language groups that I've identified that would be in this world. Um, and then I, and so I, you know, I worked through like their relationships to each other, kind of a general sense of how they would have shifted over time and stuff like that. Um, and so in this one, there are two <laughs> Don't, that's all right is that is that you have a hound dog at home yeah that's all right like is it yours hey, or is it yeah it's my sister's hey addison uh, oh no oh, okay they're, they're taking care of it i'm sure it's okay. um, <laughs> um so in this book there are two languages that do that are prominent like because there are two main cultures that you're interacting with and so i've been working on those mostly um and the fun thing with that is i'm also like because I haven't seen any fantasy authors do this, so I figured it's kind of unique, um, as I've actually created, like, some, uh, oh, what's the app called? I'm reading what it's called. Let me look it up real quick. Yeah. I created, like, some little, like, less, like, oh, it's called Quizlet. Mm-hmm. So I have some actual, like, little lessons and little little um, flashcards that people would be able to use if they wanted to learn one of the languages. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. All so right. Yeah. So I, I love that. To- I love that stuff. <laughs> that reminds me of when Nine Inch Nails had a video game made for one of their album releases and it was tied into some real world stuff. I didn't get really deep into it, but I just knew, wow, they're doing some really cool stuff. They were, they were actually hiding things out in the physical world and it was all about this album release. And it was this meta game. I'm not saying you're going to go that far, but little things like that are like, are oh, it's a lot. I was just yeah. thinking I should, this is totally relevant. Since you have video, I can show it to anyone who's seeing the video, but yeah. I have a tattoo with a script of one of my languages. It's my only tattoo I have so far, but wow. Oh, this okay. Is, this is what one of them looks like. Wow. So this it has its own alphabet. Yeah, both of them. So I have there are two alphabets and then all the languages in this world use one or the other. So that's one of them. Um, and that one is, uh, so it's very, so the, the language that that one is created for is one that's very vowel heavy. And so the structure of it was kind of fun because I, I have like a character per consonant. Um, hmm. And, but the, there are, so like the main curve shape is the vowel, and then you would add something to the top or the bottom for the um, the con- sorry. It's for each syllable, not each consonant. <laughs> uh-huh. So there's like a vowel, and then you would add a consonant to that character, basically. So it creates one character. So um, what is it? How do you say that word? Oh, the word is. Sure, remember. Oh, it's inkeranumi, which is also a made-up word um, that is basically kind of like the the feeling of the uh, uh, Nike logo, basically. <laughs> but the word that basically means that, yeah. 
the just, word that means the feeling of the Nike logo. It's literally go stubbornly. That's what uh-huh. it means literally, but uh-huh. that's kind of the semantic meaning. Is got like, it. Even if it's difficult, just do it anyway. And so I, like, I created I like that it. word, and I was like, "This is fun. I'm going to put it on my body." <laughs> that that is that's really powerful. I enjoy that. This is one mm-hmm. of the great things about learning a second language, or uh, I suppose making your own your own up. Uh, is that you're able to conceive of these words that the original language doesn't have. In German, there are some fabulous words, of course, that we, mm. we use in English, schadenfreude, the mm. joy that you take at someone else's suffering. Of course, that's a German word, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it literally means kind of like shadow joy or secret joy, you know, mm. schadenfreude, you know, and that's, mm. that's a fun one. I mean, there are, there, are lots, there are lots of examples like that. And if you don't learn that other language, it's like, you don't have a word for it, so you can't wrestle control over uh, the the mood or the feeling. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I, mean, I, I love learning words that don't have translations. I also think it's really cool to make them. There's just something really exciting about that. I don't know. It's like I made something very, like I just birthed something into reality that is a complete are, abstract concept. <laughs> are you familiar with Grant Morrison's sigil magic method? Uh, no, it's not ringing any bells. I will, I'll send you a link to that offline, but he's a very famous comic book artist. Um, he, he wrote uh, The Invisibles and hmm. he wrote The Invisibles comic to be uh, a meta sigil. And the whole idea behind this sigil magic practice is that you take a phrase uh, that you want to manifest in the world. Uh, so you could say, I would like to have a successful podcast, or I would love to sell 10,000 copies of my book. You do all capital letters. You strike out the duplicate letters. You write out, write out the phrase, strike out the dupl- duplicate, uh, excuse me, duplicate letters until you're left with a set of letters. You then use the shapes of those letters to create what he calls a witchy symbol. So you, you mm-hmm. write create a symbol, a sigil. And then you do something to charge it. So this could be any number of things. The 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 way he recommends is is pretty pretty lewd, uh, but you can you could do it lots of different ways. And and then you you put it out into the universe, destroy the sigil. And he there is a speech that he he gave at one of these uh, conferences. The can't remember the name of it. The it's the little 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 devil shape. It's like the disinfo conference. It's kind of like a hacker conference. Um, and he, he is just, he's a freak for this stuff. And he's like, you know, what's crazy about this stuff is that it actually works. You do it and you actually, it's almost like he claims, it's almost like you can hack into the root of reality and start to play with the operating system. Anyway, I love that stuff. I'm, a, I'm very nerdy, very nerdy, very cool uh, misfit stuff. So I would argue that's what you're doing to a point. And certainly if you're committed enough to putting a tattoo on your arm, you're going to, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that I did that, I guess, like two years ago. And sometimes I'm like, I can't believe I did that. Like, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever regret it, but it's still like, that is, yeah, well, I did that. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. It's, very, it's very impressive. Uh, I'm going to, I want to ask, where did the idea for that, for that word come to mind? Is it, is it from the story or is it? Uh... No, it, I just kind of, it was just, uh, I would say a natural thing I stumbled upon, um, remember if there was anything else to it I don't think so because I basically I just put those two words together and I realized that I could create a new word well so this is this is an example of like you make this sort of sigilly can you see this right now uh I'm seeing Oslo population right now oh you're seeing Oslo population let me change the screen here 
and we'll do one of these numbers. Yeah, so this is this goofy kind of, and I, I just, I think this stuff is so fascinating. The idea that you can manipulate your own mind using these kind of almost self-hypnosis techniques. Yeah, here's Grant Morrison looking like an absolute uh, savage. There he is. Look at this. <laughs> you program reality, now do it. I love that. It's, I just love it. Um, well, now, so how long, have you, how long have you been working on that novel? Oh boy, uh, six years. <laughs> wow. It's and, almost done. And are you at the, uh, at the phase where you're editing it? I've been at the phase where I'm editing it for a while. Um, I am I'm in the final stages of editing, I would say. I, I mean, sort of <laughs> rewriting the, the end a little bit as I speak, but mm -hmm. yeah. How long is it? It's a, it's, a, it's a big, chunky novel. It's currently around 250,000. Wow. Um, and yeah. is, it, is it going to be part of a series? It has to be, right? If it's a, if you're building the whole world, right? <laughs> well, so this is part of a duology, um, but I have other stories that I'm planning to write in this world. Now, for the language and the one, that, the one that's on your arm and all of that, are you using any other, I guess the question I'm asking, are there guides if one wants to begin to do this? Is there a place you mm -hmm. go where they... They help you break it down. Are there books that you've been reading? How did you even begin to think about doing it? Yeah, I, I would say it would probably probably be better to start with guides. Um, I didn't, and so I stumbled around a lot. Um, there's a book I haven't read yet, but I'm planning to, called "The Art of Language Invention." It looks really good. Um, I think, I mean, for me personally, I just kind of, <laughs> just I've just been kind of learning little bits and pieces about how languages work in general, and then getting inspiration from there and making stuff up. Um, uh, but yeah, and there's, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of this author. Wait, actually, I think he's on my bookshelf. <laughs> uh -huh, yeah, yeah, grab it. I'm pulling up the, uh, can you see the living language? Can you see Yeah, this? I'm thinking there's another one. Yeah, so this guy, so this guy, he, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, like a film, he's one of the people that you would hire, like if you were having like, right. a movie or David J. Peterson, language creator, author, artist, and I'm at artoflanguageinvention.com. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so that, I, again, I haven't read this yet, but I think that's probably, you probably spend less time than I did learning how to do it if you started with a book like this. Um, but uh, one of the things that I've been using a little bit as a guide is from Tim, was it Tim? Ferris, I think is the name. Oh. Mm, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Well, he's, he's this guy that just tries to hack life. I guess you could say he does. A, sure. That's him. He is does he, a lot of a five hour work week guy or four hour work. Yeah. Week four guy? hour work week. Guy, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Nice. But he also, he also has um, this technique for learning languages really fast. Mm, and I have, mm -hmm. I, I keep meaning to try to do it exactly what he says. It doesn't really, I don't feel like it fits really with my flow of learning very well, but mm. Anyway, he has this list somewhere online of like the 625 most common words that you want to learn when you're first trying to begin uh -huh. to learn language. Right. And so I used that. I took that list and I kind of shifted it into a more <laughs> um, era specific for my world as like a basis for creating just really basic vocabulary that I could work with for one of the languages. I don't know if the other one has as many, but I'm still working on the other one. Um, but yeah. 
In terms of your writing process, where does the linguistic construction sit with it? Is it a case where you're, you, sit, you sit to write the story, maybe you have a little block and so you go work on the language or is it more discreet? Are you setting time aside? Or uh, Explain that to me. It's unusual. Um, uh, there isn't quite a process there. Well, okay, so it depends. I would say, I mean, I spend a lot of time on these languages just for fun. Like it's really just a thing that I do that I is, does not add any value to the story. It's just enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that does come up naturally in the story. So I, I, I follow the same um, strategy, I guess, that people would use if you were writing, say you're writing a story in English and it takes place in France. Now, all your characters are speaking English, obviously, because it's an English book. But every so often you sprinkle in a French word if, say, it doesn't translate directly into English or just to kind of flavor it and make it feel like you're in France. Um, And that's something people do a lot. And so I do the same thing in my fantasy book, basically, like there'll be a word that I've already created that I feel like the character would say. And I'm like, that doesn't really translate exactly into English or just I feel like that is a natural spot to put this word, like like terms of address, for example you know, because that's very culture specific, you know, they may not use like, sir and ma'am, like those are kind of culture specific, sure. they have different ways of addressing people. And so I use those, um, or, you know, they might have different greetings or things like that, or just every so often there's some word, I'm like, I'm just going to put that in there. Um, and so that's, that creates, a, it definitely makes the culture and the world building feel a little more natural if you're starting with some words you've already just created. Um, but then also I will encounter situations where, for example, in this book, some of the characters travel into an area I haven't done as much work world building w- with yet. And so I had to very quickly, I was like, I realized that it really made sense in the situation to hear words from another language that I hadn't built yet. So I was like, all right, I got to sit down and just make some basics so I can make it, you know, believable. And I'll come back to that language later and build it out for real. But um, so I did have to do that. I'm reminded of Dune as we're talking. Mm, the, I haven't read that yet. It's oh, on my list. You have Dune in front of you. I I would love to reread it. Mm. Oh boy. What are your yeah. influences? What are your top five? And maybe and go more obscure if you can, but if it's if it's mainline, that's cool too. Ooh, my top five influences. I always struggle with this when I'm on the spot. Um, because I feel like I get influenced by so many different things all over mm-hmm. the place. Yeah. Um I mean, if you, you know, if you could, you had to take a fantasy novel or a speculative fiction novel with you on an island, what's one you would want? Mm, if, um, I actually, my, my very favorite speculative fiction series of all time is the Red Rising trilogy by Pierce Brown. It's I've actually science fiction. Yeah. So good. so good. That's, uh, it was funny because I have this very, you know, as many writers do, a very specific storytelling taste, you know, and that's what I write. Um, and I always just assumed that that was never something I was going to experience as a reader or a viewer is just something that I would create. And then I read Red Rising and it was literally my exact taste in storytelling. It was an amazing feeling. Wow. We'd love to have that again someday. I think I'm going to reread them soon, actually. But yeah, those. Uh, so I don't know if that counts. Well, I guess it is an influence. I, I think the way he develops his characters very much influenced me as a writer because it it really, I think, made something click in my head about, OK, this is how you write a character that people care about. <laughs> um, and this is how you make people feel like you're in that character's head. So I don't know if I've accomplished that, but that is, I learned a lot from him. The aesthetic of these books is very cool. The, yeah, the look, I'm looking at them now, it's really vibrant and it's got this red, gold, and then this sort of uh, teal. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to experience this for the first time again. Um, well, you, get, <laughs> you have Dune to look forward to. 
I, I don't yeah. want to overstate it, but I don't <laughs> think it can be. I mean, I don't think I can overhype Dune. Mm. There's really I'm looking forward to it. Nothing better in the whole of that genre. And I have to read it before the movie comes out, obviously. So. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, see the David Lynch version too, which is odd <laughs> but wonderful. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, the David David Lynch version of Dune is very strange. It's been many years since I've seen it, and the consensus is that. It holds up better than you may remember, but the first time you see it, you go, you, you kind of scratch your head and go, what, what just happened here? But it's David Lynch. So, mm. uh, but yeah, that's, that's just great. I also am a huge fan of Neuromancer, William Gibson. If you've never read that, that's really worth reading. The guy yeah, in, that's still on my list. Yeah, I was, like, the, I, that's, I was like, have I read it or is it just on my list? It's still on my list. The yeah. guy invented the term cyberspace. I think he even talks about yeah. the matrix in the book. You know, I mean, it's yeah, I'm crazy. Really yeah, that's super influential. Yeah, there's no limit to this stuff. It's a whole world. I, I, I'm really fond of this whole this whole side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's your writing process look like? Are you writing every day or are you taking it, uh, mm-hmm. taking breaks? How is that looking? I write every day I can. <laughs> mm-hmm. Every day I'm able to scrape aside the time. Um, and I need at least an hour to be effective. Two is best. If I can mm. decide two hours, I tend to, yeah, I just tend to be more effective. Because, um, you know, it kind of takes some time to like get into the mindset and get out of the mindset. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I try to spend some chunks over the weekend too, if I can, if I'm not totally burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course you're doing other things to, to make ends meet. What, what keeps you busy beyond writing? Well, besides, besides working, um, hmm, at the moment, honestly, not that much. I, I think that's most of my focus at the moment. That's good. That, and then just, you know, filling my soul back up with <laughs> reading and, and things like that. Um, I, I also, um, I mean, I'm in Colorado, so I enjoy being in Colorado. So I go on hikes a lot too. Yeah, um, that's great. Especially on the weekend, that's a big. Thing. Now I really want to re- rewatch this David Lynch version of Dune, <laughs> not to be distracted, but just pull yeah. some of the stills out. I mean, it's just so funky looking. Here's Sting. He's a knife fight with Kyle MacLachlan. That's just strange. It's yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a real quirky movie. It's one of the one. I think it was a bomb too. I think it bombed at the box office. And he's one of my very favorite directors. I I can't say enough about David Lynch. Just oh, the greatest. Everyone, I think everyone's allowed to have one one bomb. He's he's had such an eclectic career. I, I'd kill to have you know, you know an iota of his talent. I mean, he's such a, a a national treasure. Apparently, he also does. I guess daily or weekly weather reports from where he's living, I think in Idaho. And he's just, I should, I, I gotta look those up. He's one of those like, like Bowie or Prince where uh, mm. God forbid when he goes, you'll just go, ah, oh, he's a great one, but I hope he's here for a very long time. He's just yeah. a, such a total hero of mine. Mm. Uh, I was fortunate enough. I got to see, cause he was a, he's a visual artist first and he started as a painter. So, and he was in Pennsylvania, he was in Philly. So I, I had the good fortune to see um, some of his visual art. And it's totally disturbed. <laughs> and oh, my strange. God. Yeah. Well, so tell me, are you sharing your novel with uh, close friends and family? Are you getting feedback from people? How does that look? Do people yeah. know what you're doing? Oh, okay. For sure. I'm, I mean, I've, I'm on a second round of beta reading feedback. And I, while friends and family always ask to read, I don't really take their 
criticism or, or like their own very it's like their family you can't it's really tough yeah you can't. people are not only they may not be your target audience but they're also right biased towards thinking that you're great because you know they're, <laughs> they're friends and family and so yeah we're having a baby in a couple of weeks and, and it could be an ugly baby i don't think it will be but family are the people they're not going to tell you the baby's ugly yeah <laughs> so i really value having um people that i'm maybe not close to or yeah people that, well, I, like, sure. well, people that i have encountered online or we have some connection but not to the point where you know i don't think they're going to be able to hold anything back um, i don't know if, if such a thing exists uh as this but for screenwriting there's a thing called the blacklist are you familiar with that that rings a bell, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's it's a website where you can go and get coverage for your screenplay anonymously from someone. So ah, people sit and read, yeah. and it's the price is pretty modest. It's it's I think sixty or seventy bucks for coverage, and they give you a numerical rating. And if you get eight or an eight or higher, sorry, I'm just writing this down. Oh yeah, yeah. And if you get an eight or higher, you get industry highlight. Um, you know, you get an industry highlight, and you get another free review. Uh, we've been working on a couple screenplays. We've been kind of languishing in like sixes or sevens, but the feedback is really encouraging and then, and generally very sharp. Uh, I'm sure something like that exists for novels. Obviously it's a, it's a much bigger chore to read someone's novel than it is to read a screenplay. You can, you can sit and read a screenplay in an hour. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I wonder there might be something out there for you, you know, like that, that might be worth looking at. I'm also, learning how to write screenplays too. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm more at the beginning of that than I would say with writing novels, but um, so that will be useful on that end. I'm, I'm co-writing like three different things in the moment, which is kind mm. of ridiculous because we're not really making progress. <laughs> but after I'm done with the major edits for my novel, I'm hoping to sit down and um, work on those screenplays some more. Um, so yeah. You, you have a, you have a screenwriting partner? Um, so my brother, actually, he and oh. I are working on one. Well, one that the story is a collaboration of multiple people in my family. Um, and uh, we have two that are, that are, cool. that and then I have one of my best friends wrote a, a story that I'm, I really want to adapt. And if I can get it made, I will. I yeah. Right. So is is it a feature or is it a short? It would be a feature. It's a um, fantasy story. It's like a, it's like an urban fantasy story. I like it both because of the story and because it would be easy to do on a low budget. So it'd be a really good, like, first, you know, fantasy film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm part of a group that meets at the Dramatist Guild, but everything is in in Manhattan, but everything is all remote. So if you have stuff to share offline, we can uh, make an an introduction. Uh, I I invited Ryan to that too, and he was going to show, but I think he got his time zones (laughs) walked out, but you know, we meet every month, so it's all right. Yeah. I love that stuff. I, you know, and this is cool because if you, if you're able to have any success with your your fantasy novel, this, mm-hmm. this world you're creating, the obvious thing is to take that and adapt it somehow. And you, yeah. you, you know, you, obviously there are a lot of fantasy novels that, that, that die on the vine and don't go anywhere. And maybe, maybe this one, uh, maybe this one won't go anywhere, but maybe it could go to the moon. It, yeah. You don't know. And, uh, and it, and it's worth just remembering, you know, you got to keep trying and trying and trying and trying yeah. and you're only as good as the next thing you're working on. It's, it's, uh, but that's really exciting. You must be excited. And then if you like marketing too, then you get to have the fun of, of putting it out there and building your website and, you know, you yeah. got a little Twitter following and yeah, see what you can do. Oh yeah. I'm excited. I'm, I'm at the point where, I mean, like I said, it's been a six year long project. So I'm, I'm kind of tired of working on it. I just want to move to the next stage of market. It's like sometimes when I sit down to work on it, I'm just like, Oh, but I want to work on this marketing plan. I want to like start making these materials. I'm like, no, I need to make sure this is 
I, I have a professional editor right now who's going through and editing it. And like, again, the last part of it isn't ready for it yet. So it really, I really <laughs> need to finish that. Um, fortunately, she's not in much of a rush. But uh, <laughs> that is something that I hadn't really thought about, about the, and I, you, you keep using the phrase world building. Mm-hmm. And every novelist does this to yeah. a degree. You can have realism, which I think doesn't exist anyway, but you can kind of set your novel in, in the real world, whatever that is. And, but with this, you get to have the added fun of almost kind of like Dungeons and Dragons. You're the, you're the dungeon master for your own universe. Yep. Uh, that must be quite a feeling. So do you, are you, are you visualizing it? Are you, are you, is it the kind of thing where you lay in bed uh, or you, or you wake up in the morning and you're having your coffee or whatever you have and it, and it's passing through your mind's eye. Is it like that? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It never stops. Yeah. Wow. I feel like it's like if I'm not working or socializing, I was thinking about this recently. It's like the default place my brain goes to is some aspect of storytelling. Often I'm thinking about this particular world. Um, on the subject of if it doesn't do well, there's always more. <laughs> I have plenty more speculative fiction IPs that I'm developing to. So, well, and what's the so? And again, the root of this idea is that there is a group of young people who are fighting a war, and they begin to realize they're on the wrong side. That's this. That's the story. Yes, <laughs> there is. So the fun thing with this particular world is that um, I, I have several, like I said, several stories I want to tell in it, and I want each of them to be a standalone. You could pick up any one of them once they're all written, which <laughs> will be years from now. But you could pick up any of them and read them on their own. But also, if you happen to read them all, there's a little bit of a, a subtle overarching narrative too, um, and uh, it has to do with the history of this world and how people got there. That's all I'll say. <laughs> hmm like the Silmarillion uh, for your own world. <laughs> it, this, uh, this world is um, on a moon. And mm. so you look up in the sky and instead of seeing, uh, well, at least at night anyway, or in part of the day, instead of seeing a moon, you see a big old planet with rings. Mm. Uh, mm. And yeah, so. Cool. Well, I wish you nothing but the best for that. That sounds like a lot of fun. And the linguistic thing is really cool. Did you, Circling back to Scandinavia, going all the way back, and this is something I wanted to ask earlier. Did you see Midsummer? I you just saw that really recently. Yeah, it's so mm. weird watching a movie like that after having been to that part of the world because I'm like, oh god, I can tell you they're definitely far away from civilization right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you make of it? I'm not a typical horror fan, but I thought it was really good. I mean that that was really well done. The acting was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, the main actress in particular, she just nailed it. I mean, that was that was astounding. It's yeah. the kind of movie where you, when it's over, you got you want to kind of you want to kind of like take a shower and just kind of <laughs> scrub yourself off and go, oof, yeah, this is so something. Weird. Yeah, I'm inside the head of some something's not right here. We we all maybe have these fantasies, but this is dark, mm-hmm. dark. It, it has that power of almost like a crime. You know, watching it, you feel kind of just complicit in the the hmm. final decision there and how intense it all is. Hmm. It's, a, it's a breakup movie for sure. <laughs> you could call it that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was reading, it was one of those movies you watch. And at least for me, if I like a film or I like a piece of TV, I, the first thing I do when it's over and sometimes even while it's happening is I'll go this one. I didn't look during hmm. I go on Wikipedia and I start reading and reading reviews and this I did. And uh, I need to see hereditary. 
Have you? Have it's the no. that's from the same director, and he's this young guy. He's younger. He's younger than I am. He's in his thirties, and he went to some one of these elite uh, screenwriting filmmaking uh, classes. Uh, Scorsese defended him, came out and said, "This this kid's really doing something cool." Which can you imagine that? You wake. I mean, you get press from Scorsese. That would be really cool. He's somebody. If you could sit and have a bar with one living American artist, it, it, he he would be. I think pretty high on a lot of people's list. Mm. Yeah. I have a buddy that uh, from the theater who had a really, really bit part in um, the last Scorsese thing, The Irishman. I'm not throwing any shade here because I totally understand it, but he must have posted 500 times about his his bit part in in, in the, the you know The Irishman, and just talking about how excited he was uh, to be you know in a Scorsese movie and how it was a dream. And this guy's like an Italian kid from you know New York City. And then I went to watch the movie and it. I didn't see him anywhere that I really, oh, he's like in one shot. But I mean, you can't hold a grudge against anybody. Anybody, just the, the opportunity to be on that set had to mm. be very cool. Um, well, that's fun. So beyond uh, beyond the writing, beyond the, the linguistics, you're a designer as well too, right? Yes, yeah. that is yeah. what I do to, uh, to eat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, and that happened, I had a, a mentor when I was in high school who stepped in and stopped me from going to film school. I'm very grateful he did. Wow. Um, really? Uh, mm. Yeah. So basically, um, I mean, I've known for a very long time, I wanted to be a novelist and a filmmaker. Those are my two, my two things I'm really passionate about. Um, two methods of storytelling that I, I just enjoy equally. Um, and I got involved when I was about 17. Actually, I was exactly 17. I got involved in a, um, an internship with a very small little indie film company close to where I lived. And uh, the guy running it, because I was going to go to his film school, and he, he sat me down with my parents. He was like, don't do that. Like, <laughs> so many people that go to film school. I mean, yeah. basically, film school is good if you want to be crew. It's because you learn the skills. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Um, and so he was telling me basically that, um, you know, if you, if you want to be crew, film school is very good. If you want to be a director you're not going to learn anything from film school that you can't learn in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, he was saying, you know, like you can learn, <laughs> you can learn a bunch of the crew stuff, even for me, if you intern or whatever. Um, and also, <laughs> you know, like you, you want to be a good storyteller. That's what a lot of people miss. It's like, Oh, you learn how to, you know, use a camera that doesn't make you good storytellers. He was like, go and study something that will make you a good storyteller um, or that will help you in some other way um, in film. And at the time I was very, like, I was kind of a hobbyist graphic designer. I like playing around with it for fun. And I was like, well, what about graphic design? And he was like, Oh, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that'd work. Um, and uh, that ended up being a very good move for me <laughs> because I, I would say, I mean, I, I graduated, it was about six years ago, the same time when I started writing this book. Um, and my, Film, I feel like my experiences in film are only just now starting to kick up and become more meaningful. But this whole time I've been working doing graphic design. So (laughs) there's something to be said about having a means to sustain yourself if you're not a trustafarian while all of this happens. And the thing I always say is Chekhov was a doctor. Chekhov was a country doctor in addition to changing the short story and, and, and plays for, for all time. So this, this kind of ludicrous idea that it's all or nothing is a luxury that I think, especially our generation, it's, it's hard to afford. Uh, things are expensive. You have to have a way to, to feed yourself, to pursue your, pursue your dream. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And especially given that this is a, a world now where people tend to shift careers a lot too during their life. 
So yeah. it's like the first thing you learn isn't necessarily going to be what you do for your whole life, like what you study in college. Right. So, so why not just study something that you know is going to help you at the beginning? You can always yeah. get that later. You can always. Sure. And it's creative. And some of the principles are, are similar and there's yeah. a way. Yeah, for sure. Without a doubt. I mean, with my own web development uh, business and, and podcasting mm-hmm. and writing, I write plays, all of it there. You can do, you can do a lot. There's, you know, you just got to manage, try to manage your time well and uh and fail quickly (laughs) and move on to the next thing and and then you you may have a hit and you might not even know it because you already be working on the next thing i think that's that's one of the fun things about being a creative person is that even if you're maybe not in love with the idea you're working on now it all it takes is a a moment to have a brand new idea do you remember when the when the concept for this novel struck you no so (laughs) I was working on the world for a long time and ah. I, was, I had a lot of different stories that I was playing around with that would take place in the world. And then this was one that stuck. And so that's when I started, cool. started working on it. I, it was a lot of different factors. I think it sort of evolved slowly over time. Well, Brianna, tell people again where they can find you. It's BriannaDeSilva.com. Well, BriannaDeSilva.blog. That's weird. Yeah. Um, and that's B-R-I-A-N-N-A-D-A-S-I-L-V-A. And then you can find me also on Twitter and Instagram, mostly on Twitter is where I'm active. Yeah. And I see Yep, you're on, I call it the stupid bird website. <laughs> yeah. It's very stupid. Yeah. Twitter is a, is a, tr- a wild, wild thing. Wild. Um, but yeah, that's great. And thanks for sharing that. And I appreciate you sharing your, uh, your idea. Uh, I would love for you to come back on the show when the novel comes out, we can do Ooh. another episode and we can talk more about it. Uh, I hope it's not too personal to ask. Can, can I see the tattoo one more time? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. I think that'll be, we're not going to top somebody who creates their own language and gets a tattoo. Oh, nice. It's super cool. Okay, so say the word one more time. It's Inkeranumi. Inkeranumi. And what does it mean? Go, go stubbornly, but it's, you know, just do it. That's a, that's a show title, though. Go stubbornly. I like it. All right. All right, Brianna. Thank you so much for coming on. And this is Kevin Couchman. This is the podcast, Get This. It's a show about things people love. You can find it at getthispodcast.com, anywhere you find your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, now YouTube as well. Uh, and if you're inclined to, to chuck a buck, give a donation, it's on the website, support independent media, creators, interviews that you might not hear otherwise. So uh, again, Brianna, thanks for coming on. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. All right. You have a good weekend. You too. Later. Thank you.